Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for the morning of Friday, February 21st, the day before the Canucks get set to close out their five-game homestand with a date against the Boston Bruins. Of course, games that always feel somewhat emotional uh, when Boston comes to town or when the Canucks head to Boston. Okay, maybe this rivalry is a little bit one-sided at this point because do the Bruins really, really really care about the Canucks? Do Bruins fans really care about Vancouver, especially a Vancouver team for whom there's basically no uh, attachments to 2011 at this point? It's, you know, basically Alex Edler and Chris Tanev and... Yeah, that's pretty well it, honestly, in terms of what's left over from the group that played in that Stanley Cup final. This is, you know, uh, a one-sided rivalry, certainly, uh, in terms of just the way this fan base here in Vancouver gets riled up about these games every single time. But uh, this is a huge game for Vancouver, no matter who they were playing, whether it was the Bruins or, you know, pick the most boring team that the Canucks have no attachment to whatsoever that you can think of, which uh, I guess... Oh, well, Atlanta is out of the league. They would have been the pick there. Carolina, the games have been rather heated with the Hurricanes lately. You know what I'm saying. Pick a team, any team. Uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets. Oh, there's the Torts connection there. I guess it's hard to come up with a team that the Canucks have literally no storylines with whatsoever. But... Regardless, no matter who it was going to be in town on Saturday night, uh, it's a big game for Vancouver because they were good. They were certainly much better than they have been on this homestand of late uh, on Wednesday night against the Wild. Um, But... You know, it's, it was one of those games where you play very well and you're the better team of the two and you just don't come up with the win. And those are going to happen. They happen quite often. You know, Vancouver on their hot streak when they couldn't stop winning were certainly winning games that they didn't deserve to win. There had to be uh, some kind of balance on the other side of dropping some games that you don't deserve to lose. And that is certainly what happened to the Canucks on Wednesday. But that is the exception on this homestand. Yes, it was a better effort. Yes, Tyler Toffoli was... Uh, about everything you could possibly hope for as he made his Canucks debut on Wednesday against the Wild. A lot of great signs coming out of that game. Another fantastic performance from Quinn Hughes, one of his best of the season. And we say that, you know, seemingly with regularity after every big game that Quinn Hughes has. But look, the guy's a number one defenseman already in his rookie year. He is handling things down the stretch in his rookie season that you do not expect rookies to be able to do. We've, you know, talked about many times about uh, the wall that that first-year players tend to run into coming out of the All-Star break. Heck, you're not even first-year players. Look at what's happened to the secondary scoring with the Canucks right now, whether it's a Jake Vertanen or a, a Bo Horvat or a number of guys who are riding pretty strong hot streaks heading into the All-Star break who have kind of lost their mojo since then. It is natural, especially for a rookie coming out of the college ranks, to not perform on the level that they had going in uh, to what they were doing. You know, you just eventually uh, hit a wall where your uh, conditioning cannot keep up with the 
frequency and amount of games that you're playing in the NHL as a pro, as a first-year pro, relative to a you know weekend-based schedule as a college player. That's what we see time and time again. Even Elias Pettersson last year hit a physical wall towards the end of his rookie campaign, but had built such an enormous lead in his case to be the Calder winner that that kind of lull down the stretch didn't matter, didn't affect his chances of winning that award whatsoever. The fact that Quinn Hughes can have a night like he did on Wednesday night, where he plays upwards of 27 minutes, where he plays, you know, Uh, the large majority of the three-on-three overtime to play a game like that. 27.05 in ice time. Two assists on the night. Five shots on goal. um, I believe ten shot attempts on the evening. A positive differential in just about every advanced statistic when he was on the ice. The assist that he made to set up Jay Beagle of all players. Beagle who hadn't scored in 42 games. Beagle who might never score again for this team. That's not entirely true. He does occasionally get on uh, you know, an offensive break on the penalty kill. He might have a, a shorthanded breakaway here and there. Regardless, Jay Beagle is not your, your likely goal scorer, certainly on a dish like he received from Quinn Hughes on Wednesday night. Uh, a, a perfectly played defensive uh, coverage as well from Jonas Brodin, who gave Hughes absolutely nothing. I watched this goal probably like 10 times on replay and in gift form after the fact because... You need to see, like to believe, have to watch it again and again with your own eyes to make sure that actually happened when you look at the play that Quinn Hughes makes to get that puck. It's an impossible pass. Impossible. And yet, Quinn Hughes, so often in this rookie campaign, is telling us that impossible is nothing. He is on a hot streak as far as point production goes as well, rocketing to the top uh, of the rookie scoring race. He is, you know, the leading scoring defenseman across the entire NHL coming out of the All-Star break as well. This guy is doing it all right now, and that was certainly a positive sign for Wednesday night's game. Also really liked, why am I spending so much time talking about uh, Quinn Hughes when the big story of that game was, of course, the debut of Tyler Toffoli. Now, Toffoli uh, gets put on to the top line uh, with JT Miller and uh, Elias Pettersson, as opposed to what I think a lot of people believed is where he was going to land when the deal was made, which is that second unit, Bo Horvat, Tanner Pearson. He has a lengthy history with Tanner Pearson. Yes, people were making a meme out of it or acting like this was an angle that was overplayed heading into the game on Wednesday, but it is a compelling storyline that these two guys are best friends, that these two guys have a lengthy friendship that goes back to their days with the Kings together, and it makes Vancouver something of a soft place to land for Toffoli. We talked about this with Sarah Avampato when she joined me, host of Locked On Kings and a longtime Kings beat writer as well with uh, Jewels from the Crown. And uh, Sarah joined me earlier in the week in the immediate aftermath of the Toffoli trade to tell me all about Tyler and what he brings to the lineup and what we could expect and so on, etc. You know, she talked about the the special friendship between those two guys, Tanner Pearson and Tyler Toffoli. And, uh, you know, Toffoli has never been 
with any other team other than the LA Kings. He's been in the league for a very long time, eight years now, and has played all of those games in one uniform. I'm sure it's a bit of a jarring change, even when you're expecting it, even when you know you're going to be a guy who gets dealt, even when you know you're on the block, even when you're looking forward to the change, as Sarah said that he was, as many people have kind of intimated uh, that this is a guy who was looking forward to a change of scenery and finding a fresh start somewhere else, that he might not have been as uh, dialed in and engaged as he had been in previous seasons, that he was maybe being affected by the losing culture that has infected the LA Kings because they are a quote-unquote team like that. But he landed in Vancouver and delivered all of the intensity that you would expect and demand of a player who is being put into the role he's been put into. Uh, you know, I want to see that heavy second line. I want to see him kind of play on a reunited 70s line with Bo Horvat playing the role of Jeff Carter. I want to see that eventually, and maybe we will if Jake Vertanen can get back to some stronger play because Jake has not been all that great of late. But if Jake can vault his way back onto that top line with Pedersen and Miller, then maybe we do see... Pearson and to fully play together and bring some real heaviness to uh, a Bo Horvat line that I think would be a ton of fun to watch. But in the meantime, he did what so many people have been clamoring for in this city for the last several weeks, seemingly every single time the Canucks lose a game. You don't hear a damn thing about it when they win, when they go rattle off as many wins in a row as they did over the last two months. You don't hear anyone talk about this at all, but as soon as they lose, as soon as somebody, uh, you know, maybe takes a liberty with uh, one of their star players as soon as Matt Grizzlick lays a hit on Elias Pettersson. Well, there's no pushback. There's no toughness. There's no unity. There's no guys sticking up for each other on the ice. That's what the phone boards light up with on the postgame show. Tyler Toffoli brought that pushback. Tyler Toffoli brought that toughness. Tyler Toffoli brought that just willingness to be engaged physically and get after guys if they even so much as looked at Elias Pettersson the wrong way. And not even just Elias Pettersson, but Quinn Hughes as well. He was somebody who did not want to see any liberties taken with the skilled players that were playing with him. And for a guy in his first game to show more of that spirit than some of the players on this team who have been around for several seasons now... Uh, I think that endeared him to a lot of fans right out the gate. The fact that he was able to pick up a point uh, on the assist on JT Miller's first goal, I think, endeared him as well. And he looked like a guy who could have scored a couple goals over the course of that game, too. Now, just showing like he has solid chemistry out of the gate with these guys and kind of, you know, putting on a show physically or at least giving the fans what they want as far as pushback goes isn't necessarily enough right now. Vancouver is at a stage in the season where they need points. They need wins. They need to be coming up with positive results. And that's why I talked about Saturday's game against the Boston Bruins being a big one because it very much is. I mean, we're talking about a guy who has been scoring at a 48-point pace over the course of an entire regular season. Uh, that's what he's on track for, given what he was doing in Los Angeles uh, before he arrived in Vancouver. A 48-point pace player who is being asked 
tasked essentially here in Vancouver in the role that he's landed on playing with that top line to be an 80-point player uh, because that's what he's replacing in Brock Besser. And that's a big ask, but when you pay a big price, and I know I downplayed the cost of it uh, after the deal went down because, look, I'm not entirely sold on Tyler Madden being uh, you know, the be-all, end-all Canucks prospect uh, in this team's organizational depth uh, as far as prospects go, but it is still a big price to give up your second-round pick, to uh, give up a, a, a meaningful prospect, even if it's not necessarily one of your top guys. Um, you know, it, that's, that is a lot to pay for a player uh, to come in here and play the role that Brock Besser cannot. And who knows when Besser's going to be back. If Brock will, you know, be back a week or two before the playoffs start, if he's going to arrive back during the postseason. There's been some confusion around that of late. Of course, uh, he was initially out for a, a day or two, then it was a week, then it was three weeks, then it was eight weeks. Uh, you know, Jim Benning in his press conference on Wednesday morning, uh, as he introduced Tyler Toffoli, I guess this was on Tuesday morning, actually, introduced Tyler Toffoli to uh, to the uh, Vancouver media. He uh, he talked about Besser being out for the, for the rest of the season. Travis Green walked that back, said um, eight weeks from the initial point of the injury, which would bring him back a couple weeks before the end of the season. Communication has not been a strong suit of this regime. It was a problem when Trevor Linden was still around. It has continued to be a problem after the fact. Not everybody is on the same page as far as the messaging they're putting out there. Look, I know it's a big ask of Tyler Toffoli to be a significantly improved player than he was in L.A., but he looked like that guy on Wednesday. He looked like he could be the guy that they want him to be on Wednesday, even if he didn't score. He had opportunities, and he needs to bury them in the future, but just having those opportunities showed that he has good offensive zone instincts and I'm confident that this is going to work out well here for him. I'm, you know, who knows if the team will be able to keep him. They probably won't be given the salary constraints that they already have trying to keep the guys that they uh you know are trying to retain the the contracts that are coming up, but you know, who knows what's going to happen. We just I, I would hate to see this team spend those assets on bringing a player in only to not make the playoffs in the end. And that is a risk, certainly. That is a risk that could go down right now because of the way this team has played of late. I talked about last week during Sedin Week about how the team needed a boost of energy. They needed that injection of urgency uh, of playing for something important, which could come from some of those bigger nights. You know, they didn't get that. They did not play well at all during Sedin Week, and I barely even talked about those games uh, when I was doing the show last week because what was there to talk about? You know, especially on a night like when the Twins jerseys got retired, it was a fantastic ceremony. Kevin Bieksa was hilarious. The twins were emotionally touching. It was, you know, a great speech, a great ceremony, but then the game happened afterwards, and it was a dog. It was awful. What am I going to talk about in a, in a game where the team doesn't show up and Jacob Markstrom stands on his head and puts on a 49-save shutout clinic performance? There's not a lot to draw out of that as far as, you know, trends going forward. At least I would certainly hope not. I don't want that to be a trend going forward, that they're just going to play this way on a regular basis for, you know, however long guys are out injured. They needed to be better. Uh, they need to be better immediately. Those performances, save for Wednesday against the Wild, which was an unlucky result, 
not acceptable, as I said the other day. Not acceptable if this team wants to be a contender, never mind a team that even makes the playoffs, which means they need to batten down immediately and talk about emotion and you know nights that require playing for something. I hope that playing the Bruins inspires this group. I hope that playing Boston on home ice in front of a Vancouver crowd that still has a ton of animosity towards a number of players that are still on that Bruins team, I hope that that inspires them. But they got to fight for it now. They got to want to make the playoffs. That's... That's what this is about. You know, you need to recognize that your season is on the line. You need to show some urgency that that means something and matters to you. And there was a little bit of that on Wednesday against Minnesota. There was not enough of that elsewhere over the course of this homestand. And, you know, Travis Green has been kind of... uh, a shrinking violet with the media lately. He has uh, not necessarily offered much of anything in his post-game press conferences of late. Uh, very uh, short uh, with the media, and it's you know he's being asked to explain something that he can't explain, which is why is this team playing this way at a time when these games should be the most important games of the season? He's got no answers, or at least none that he's sharing publicly. So, uh, I don't know. It's, 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 just a, it's just a frustrating time, and I want to see this team come out fired up, just launched out of a cannon to start the game on Saturday night. They need to do that, and they should know that they need to do that as well. But, you know, whether you make the playoffs or not, I think that's been a risk that's run constant throughout basically everything that this group has done over the last year. Watching Jim Benning wheel and deal over the course of the last, I don't know, eight months or so here has been a little bit like Watching Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems. He is doubling down on his belief. He is pushing all of his chips in. He is making bets that will ruin his life if they are not correct. And sometimes you you look at what you're hearing in gossip circles right now. You're looking at the rumblings that you're hearing in trade rumors about who Vancouver is calling on and who teams are asking for in return. The idea that this team is going to trade Troy Stetcher. The idea that this team might trade Adam Gaudet. We are talking about a general manager who is right now in a position to mortgage a ton of futures on a house that's not even built yet. I know that there are people in the media who want to say the rebuild is over, this is it, this is your core. This is not your core. This should not be the end of the building process. You should still be looking to add more young players and keep that pipeline going. I just look at a guy, like if Travis, not Travis Green, if Jim Benning is going to trade Adam Gaudet to try and make the playoffs for one year just so he can save his job. To quote Mike Francesa in Uncut Gems, that's the worst fucking bet I've ever heard. Now Jim Benning would say, "Uh, uh, uh, I disagree. But, like, you shouldn't allow a guy to make desperation moves like that. And sure, is he going to be fired if the team misses the playoffs this year? If If they have pushed all these chips in and have nothing to show for it? Is Jim Benning going to have a job when it's all said and done? 
No, probably not. So you understand his desperation, but you shouldn't allow someone to deal from a place of desperation. Because, okay, maybe the Canucks trade Adam Gaudet and a big, real piece comes back the other way. I understand that you have to give players to get players. I I fully understand that. I understand that they were having conversations about landing, uh, you know, uh, Tyson Berry at the at the draft last year. That they would have had to give up some serious pieces to make that happen. Maybe not Brock Besser or or Bo Horvat, rather, which was apparently the request from the Avalanche. Yeah, yeah, you can have Tyson Berry. Give us Bo Horvat back. That was never going to happen. Even though I guess they got a a Bo Horvat style player in Nazem Kadri uh, in return in that deal, I I understand that you need to give to get, but I don't feel like what they're getting back right now are core pieces, are core players. Uh, it's a lot of rentals, and the word today from Pierre LeBron was <laughs> that they wanted to make a deal for Wayne Simmons, which oh for the love of God, please no. Uh, he, he is washed up and past his prime. You know, they made the right decision in signing Michael Furland instead of Wayne Simmons this past summer. And Michael Furland turned out terribly. He barely played. His season's shut down. It's very sad. And we wish him the best and hope that he makes a full recovery as a human being. All of those things. Yes, certainly. <sighs> but that's still what, what Michael Furland gave the Canucks this year, I would find preferable to what Wayne Simmons would give them by actually playing and the idea that you didn't sign this guy in free agency but are going to give up assets for him at the deadline and look Ollie Levy is still an asset he is he is and I know I have been critical of him I know I've been critical of that pick you know when you had Matthew Kachuk right there when you had an entire audience full of people in, in Rogers Arena at a draft party waiting for the team to draft Matthew Kachuk and let out this exasperated sigh when they took all you Levy instead. I've been critical of that pick from day one. But as I talked about on a Prospects episode uh, not that long ago, maybe a month back with J.D. Burke, and as I talked way back at the beginning of the year with Corey Hergott, like, all you Levy is still a player. He is someone who, sure, is he going to pan out as perhaps a bottom-pairing defenseman instead of what the Canucks thought they were going to get when they drafted him? Yeah, that's more than likely if he pans out at all. But this is a guy that should not be given up on, especially on a team that has no futures on the back end. You need all of you Levy to pan out as a bottom-pairing guy, especially if you're planning to trade away Troy Stetcher, which is something that I railed against when the rumor first came up back at the beginning of the year. But guess what, folks? That rumor has not gone away. And the longer it goes on, the more you get the feeling this team just doesn't like this guy. And they are going to trade him, whether it's a good idea or not. Apparently, the Toronto Maple Leafs really like Troy Stetcher. And I can understand why they would, because Troy Stetcher's really good. And he's the guy that you should be replacing Chris Tanev with on the back end, because you should not be bringing Chris Tanev back for another season after this one. Given his injury history, given his deteriorating play before this season, you need to treat this uh, Chris Tanev season as an outlier uh, because he is not... He is not a guy who plays every game. You know, he has been healthy for basically the first time in his entire career this year, and he's also having a resurgence relative to what he was doing defensively in years previous. You need to look at this season of Chris Tanev as Chris Tanev in a contract year playing above his head and not 
as a guy that you should be investing big time in. That's how I feel. And if you're going to let Chris Tanev walk, then the natural person to take those minutes on the right side is Troy Stetcher. But They're worried about his arbitration case. They're worried about what they are going to have to pay him in a team that's already in a salary crunch. I think relative to the value that he brings for the defensive quality that he brings on the ice, I know he had an unlucky game on Wednesday and an even more unlucky one on Sunday against Anaheim, but still, Troy Stetcher is a valuable defensive player and hey, maybe that's maybe that's good that other teams see that and Vancouver doesn't. I hope it's not to the extent that other teams are able to, you know, get him for a song just so that uh, Vancouver just desperately gets rid of someone that they clearly have not liked for a couple seasons now considering he tends to end the year on the top pairing and started on the bottom pairing every single season, uh, you know, given the last 3 years here or so. Uh, I I don't want him to go for a song. I want if they if they are so hell-bent on trading him, if they are so hell-bent on trading Jake Vertanen at the end of this year as well, which is why they're pushing all in because they know they will not be able to keep this group together with the contracts they have on the books. Then, sure, maybe get something back. But I, you know, I don't want to see all these pieces dealt for rentals, and it feels like that's what we're looking at right now. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not down with the Troy Stetcher trade. I'm not even down with the Jake Vertanen trade, to be honest. I feel like he's relatively good value for what he brings, and isn't going to cost you a ton as a, a UF or an RFA this summer either. But. Hey, I don't know what these guys are asking for. I'm not in the negotiations. What I do know is that the negotiations for Jacob Markstrom's deal have been put on hold until the end of the season. And maybe that's good. Maybe that takes another distraction off of Jacob Markstrom's plate in a season that has been full of distractions. Uh, But, you know... (laughs) That was a little nugget dropped by Jim Benning on Tuesday morning that would have been the talk of the town on any other day. There were, there were so many things in that presser. The the idea that uh, Sven Berchi is not the first call-up from Utica, uh, that's Reed Boucher. Reed Boucher would be the guy to uh, take some minutes uh, in the absence of Brock Besser. Look, Sven Berchi, I'm a big fan. I've made that clear over the course of the season. Uh He's an NHL player and Reed Boucher is not. And if you are operating from a place of pettiness, from a place of uh, vindiction, if, that, if that's a word, vindictiveness perhaps, if that's where you're operating from because uh, you know, you're know you mad that Sven Berchi's agent came out here and made a fuss about his treatment and didn't necessarily quote-unquote play it the right way, uh, then you're not trying to ice the best team, which means you're not putting yourself in the best position to pick up points, which means you're not putting yourself in the best position to make the playoffs. I found that a fascinating admission, and uh, who knows, you know, uh, if Sven Berchi is, is going to be even a member of this team by this time next week, if they find a taker for him at the deadline or, you know, who knows? I don't know. There's all sorts of things that I could have talked about today. I wanted to talk about you know, people taking a victory lap every single time JT Miller scores a goal that, oh, the deal is so great. Um, we can address that the next time JT Miller scores a goal, I'm sure, because that's going to happen again before the season is done. And look, I agree. I was on board with the Miller trade from the get-go. I think there is definitely an argument that it's a home run move for Jim Benning, but... 
The people who want to lash out at the critics of the deal, I feel like, willfully misinterpret the argument that those critics are making every single time they do that. Maybe that's something we can get into on tomorrow's show because, my goodness, I had so many things to talk about and I did not feel like that was going to be the case when I sat down to do this one. Uh, good to fly solo for uh, the first time in a little while here, but there were some just awful games over the course of that homestand that's not over yet maybe there's another awful one tomorrow on saturday night i could not talk about by myself i hope you enjoyed this show we'll be back with another one on saturday morning ahead of the bruins game and then on sunday morning as well to break down saturday's game the night before so i am bringing you five episodes this week look forward to those until then if you want to head on over to the Apple Podcasts app, leave me a rating and a review on this show. I always enjoy it when people do that. Always like reading the nice things people have to say about this program. It helps me out. It helps the show. And that's all that I ask for. I don't think it's too much to ask. Uh, Until tomorrow, when we do this all over again, and hopefully I got a guest for tomorrow. Fingers crossed. We'll see how things pan out over the next 24 hours here. Uh, If I don't, I clearly have a number of topics left on the table that I wasn't able to get to today. Uh, Until then, I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette, and you're locked in on Locked on Canucks, part of the Locked on Podcast Network.